Let's go now to the Word of God, and I invite you to join me in John chapter 17. We've been in our walk through the upper room discourse, and we've even more recently been in this high priestly prayer of Jesus, and today we take on the final section of that before Jesus leaves the upper room to go to the garden, to go to the cross for us. We're going to talk today about unity. So it's hard to believe we're already in the month of March, and among the things that come up in March is March Madness. That's what we call the college basketball tournament that will culminate in early April with a new national champion. And every year, I pull for all the Atlantic Coast Conference teams to go deep into that tournament. I, I like all of these ACC teams. I grew up in this part of the country, and that's just where my sports loyalties are. Now, among those ACC teams, I have a particular team. And let me tell you the story. I converted from an NC State fan at the age of 12, before the dynasty, before Coach K, I converted over to pull for Duke. But I'm a weird Duke fan. I still pull for all the ACC teams, and I don't hate UNC. <laughs> I, I have to say that because I'm preaching on unity. I don't want to divide us right here at the beginning. I've had Carolina fans tell me it's not reciprocal. They do hate Duke, but... I just point to my sanctification. I'm able to, I'm able to, <laughs> I'm able to love the other teams. No, it's a, but it, it's, it's a fun time of year for basketball. And one of the things we, we do like about March Madness is you get into these tournaments and you, and you like to watch the upsets. So a much lesser team with less talent, with good teamwork, with a good plan can knock off some of these historic programs with future NBA talent. And that's part of the excitement of March Madness, that's where the madness comes in. That's what makes it so fun. Well, Jesus in the upper room is not thinking of anything as trivial as sports. But he is thinking about his team of disciples. And he does want them to work together. He does want them to be and act as one. And it's going to be critical to the mission that he has given to them. So Jesus is going to pray for their unity. And we're going to see this so clearly that it's going to call us, if we're paying attention to be serious about unity in our own church. I thank the Lord I can preach a message on unity to a unified church. But this should be a good heads up for us. We need to nurture it. We need to preserve it. We can't just assume it. Jesus prays for it. We're going to take it very seriously. So John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We're going to come back to that. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me, they know you. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. We're on our way to talk about unity, but first notice this, Jesus prays for those who will believe in him. 
Jesus prays for those who will believe in him. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is very encouraging. This is Jesus not only praying for the 11 disciples still in the upper room. Judas has already gone out to betray him. He's not just praying for the 11. He's not even just praying for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and other followers who are outside of the upper room. But he prays for future believers who will become believers through the testimony of these first disciples. That means he's praying in that night. On that night, he's praying for us. Think about it. He's praying for you. He knew about you. This tells us how serious Jesus was last time as he prayed for them to be sent out. Remember, he prayed for his disciples to be set apart from the world, sanctified in the truth, and sent out into the world to preach the gospel. And Jesus knew by sending them out, there would eventually be additional believers in him. They're going to believe in him. So praise God, they did go out. So the disciples after Pentecost moved out into the Roman Empire, preaching this gospel, sometimes forced out by persecution. But everywhere they went, they continued to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And every place they went, people believed in Jesus. And through generation after generation, what started there, people are continuing to preach the gospel. People are continuing to believe. And we praise God for that. Aren't you glad the gospel reached South America? The gospel reached Asia? The gospel reached Africa? Aren't you glad, those of us sitting here, aren't you glad the gospel reached North America from there? And we heard the gospel, and we have believed in Jesus just as he knew, and he prayed for us even way back then. So Jesus is serious about his disciples being sent out. Jesus knew people were going to believe. He knew there would be generations of harvest. So think about it. He told them in John 15, you're going to abide in me, and you're going to bear much fruit. They could, never could have imagined how much fruit would come from them sharing the gospel and being faithful in those days. But here we are. We're the fruit of the gospel through generations of it coming to us. Jesus loves you. He's concerned for you. And even that night in the upper room, he thought of you and prayed for you. See this with me also, that belief is the intended response whenever people hear the gospel. Jesus said they're going to believe through their word. So if you've ever been in a, a gospel conversation, you're talking to somebody about Jesus, you want them to believe in Jesus, but have you ever gotten locked into what became a comparative religion discussion? I've been stuck in those before. So you're talking about Jesus, you want them to come to repentance and faith, but it just kind of comes down to, well, we believe this. And you hear that, well, that's okay, that's good. Well, what, we believe this. And then it's back and forth, we believe that, and you're different. It's not where you want it to go. We want to get to the point where now you need to understand what Jesus is claiming for himself and your move in response to his love for you and the cross and the resurrection is that you turn from everything else that you have believed, that you would now believe in Jesus, the one you had not believed in before. So what, what kind of belief are we talking about here when Jesus says they're going to believe through their word? Well, first of all, among the beliefs you must have if you're going to be one of Jesus's, you need to believe that there is a good, holy God who made you. You can't come to the gospel unless you know there is a God and he made you. Another thing that you must believe if you want to belong to Jesus is that God is good and you are not. That you're not good enough to fix your problems on your own. You have to humble yourself and recognize I am a sinner and I can't fix it, but there is one who can. I must believe then that Jesus is the son of God who left heaven, lived perfectly, and he died on a cross for my sins and was raised from the dead. I have to believe that. And I have to believe that so much that I'm willing to repent, turn away from everything else I had been believing 
and everyone else I had been following that I might put all of my faith exclusively in Jesus Christ. So the question this morning is this, have you truly believed in Jesus? Have you heard this good news that Jesus can save you and have you been willing to step out of the world into the love of Jesus? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and the Savior of your life like those first disciples? If you discover and, and study those first disciples, you'll see that they weren't perfect. They had their quirks, but something unmistakable happened. They saw Jesus and they trusted him and they began to follow him, though it was sometimes very imperfect. They were deeply changed after Pentecost and they were more bold, but still not perfect. But has that change happened in you? See, something in me of what I see in the disciples, I'm now following a new master. He's now the Lord of my life. So have you believed in him? Here's another question. Have you been sharing this gospel with others? Here's Jesus in the upper room praying for future believers. And thank the Lord, you were one of those future believers. But do you know that the Lord has people after you that he wants to come to faith in him? He's praying for people past you. So this gospel has come to you, praise the Lord. But you have a responsibility with this treasure, this good news of salvation through Jesus. You need to be passing that along to others, other people that Jesus had been praying for. It's not intended to stop with us. There are other baby boomers who need to come to Jesus, other Gen Xers that need to come to Jesus, other millennials, other Gen Zers, and whatever we're calling the generation after them, more people that Jesus had in mind to save as we share the message. In fact, let's see that together. We must use words. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So we can't have as our method of passing on the faith, well, I'm just going to live such a nice, friendly life and I'll be so friendly. People are just going to somehow know that they should come to know Jesus. I'm going to hold doors for people. And they'll think, wow, that was a nice fella. I think I need Jesus because he opened the door for me. No, they're going to believe through the word. And so you and I have this gospel and yes, our lives are powerful testimonies, but we must combine this with the word of the gospel. We must share that Jesus is the hope and lead people to trust in him. I'm so glad as I think about my brother who led me to Christ, I'm so glad he didn't leave me wondering why his life was changing. I watched my big brother's life change. I knew he had temper issues, anger issues, and I just watched him and man, he's, he's becoming nicer. He's more, he's more mellow than he used to be. Something's happening to him. And I knew some of his other temptations where he used to succumb to those. And now he's walking a different walk. Wasn't perfect, but there is a real change. But he didn't leave me a millisecond to wonder what was up. There was never a moment where I thought, man, my brother's just becoming nicer and I don't know why. No, he was constantly talking about Jesus. It was a one-two punch his beautifully changing life and his constant talking about it's Jesus, it's Jesus, that finally God softened me, took away the blinders from my eyes, softened my stone cold heart to where I tuned him. I want this Jesus that I'm seeing portrayed in him. You and I are supposed to share the word. Yes, lives that are changed, sanctified in the truth, sent back in the world with a message. You and I need to share that. So see Jesus praying for future believers like us and believers past us that we're gonna share with and they'll become believers. He prays for them. Secondly, now we come to unity. Jesus prays for the unity of his disciples. And oh, does he? Look at verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. That's unity he's praying for. And if that sounds familiar, he had already prayed this once before in this prayer in verse 11. Do you remember this? And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Here it is. That they may be one, even as we are one. So Jesus prays that his people will be as unified as he is with the Father. That's the standard. That's the beauty of the unity he calls us to. Can you imagine that? How unified are the Father and the Son? Completely unified. He says here, I want my people perfectly one. So just as the Father and the Son are in perfect union, sharing the same essence, same purpose, he prays that we would be caught up in that type of unity. In fact, he calls us into a unity with him, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, we get to be together in this fellowship that we get to have with the triune God. He's pulling us into this amazing relationship. So, so our unity is not man-made. This is a deep, deep communion with God that he calls us to. Now, you and I have heard strange calls for unity in the culture before. And maybe we've even heard it in some sectors of Christianity before. But sometimes it's a weird unity that we're called to. When I left home to go to college years ago, I went to a college that was Baptist, but not Christian. Do you know that's possible? So in my case, it was a, a school that had a Baptist heritage. They had long set, since left any faithfulness to Christ and to the Bible. And so I endured four years of my bachelor's degree. Uh, these professors who were some kind of religious, but they were really attacking the Bible in various ways in almost every class through the four years. And yet sometimes from these same people that call themselves a, a, some type of Christian, they would make these calls to unity. And sometimes they would invoke these words of Jesus here, and that really caused a conflict in me because oh, I do want to do what Jesus says, and Jesus says he wants his followers to be one, but I'm thinking, how do I unify with this? These guys are denying the gospel, they're denying the Bible, and they call themselves Christian. How do I unify with that? And what I began to discover is they had a false dichotomy they were pushing toward. In other words, a false choice. They pitted unity against the truth. They would put love versus truth, and we're not supposed to have to choose between love and truth and unity and truth. In fact, this is a great reason why we read the Bible in its context, because Jesus is not telling us, be unified and forget about the truth. What did he just pray about before we got to this section? We looked at it last time. Remember, he said, sanctify them. He, told, he asked the Father, sanctify the disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Didn't Jesus also say Father, they're not of the world anymore. They don't think like the world. They don't act like the world. They don't belong to the world anymore. Now they belong to me. So truth matters. And now he comes and talks about unity. So he's not now saying, well, I said all this stuff about truth. I prayed about that. Don't worry about that. So there are people out there who will say, listen, doctrine divides. So just lay down that idea about sound doctrine. Lay down truth. Let's just all link arms. Let's just hug each other, love each other. Let's find the lowest common denominator and let's try to get along over that. When in reality, we want to hold to the gospel, hold to the truth and rally around a faithfulness to Jesus Christ. So this unity that Jesus calls us into is so rich. It's real and it's essential. It's more than warm, fuzzy feelings. 
It's not a shallow unity based on ignoring truth and ignoring righteousness. No, we're to be united in our common delight in and pursuit of Jesus. So it works this way. Oh, are you wanting to follow Jesus with your whole heart? Well, that's where I'm going. Let's go there together. You love, him. You, you love the truth of God's word? So do I. Let's pursue that together. Oh, you believe in the mission of God to take this good news to the nations? I see that also, Scripture. Let's go there together. So through the years, this is how I've commonly called us to this unity. I hope this is beginning to sound familiar. There are three things that I feel like unify us as a church and should unify us as a church. First of all, we are united in our shared love for Jesus. Secondly, as a church, we are united in our shared confidence in the scriptures. And third, we are united in our shared commitment to the Great Commission. Isn't that true? When you think about why you're a member of Staples Mill, why you like being a member of Staples Mill, it's because of those three shared commitments that we have. A shared love for Jesus, shared confidence in the scriptures, a shared commitment to the Great Commission. That really is who we are. Our unity is not a unity on, hey, anything goes. You believe what you want, I'll believe what I want. We'll just somehow make it work. That's not what we're after. Wouldn't that be hard to unify if somebody says, I don't really share your love for Jesus, but let's all just get along. If what if somebody had this view? Look, I don't really share your confidence in the scriptures. I'm really more into the zodiac. I'm into my horoscope. I make my decisions based on that. You got your Bible. I've got the horoscope. I've got psychics that I go to. Can't we just get along? Hey, I don't know how we unify around that. Or if somebody said, I don't see all this talk about missions and taking the gospel. I don't, I don't really see that. I got other things that I'll be pursuing while you guys do that. But we can still be unified, right? It'd be very difficult to do that. Listen, mercifully, Jesus calls us out of the world, out of error, out of dysfunction, that we might trust in him together, that we might love him together, that we might worship him together and be sent out together. Would you bear with me? Hear this text one more time, the deep, deep, beautiful unity we're called to. Verse 21 again, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. If Jesus prayed this for his disciples before exiting the upper room for the garden, for the cross, how important is this? Critically important. So here's the question. Are you aspiring to this level of unity in the life of the church? Are you being intentional about this type of unity in the church? This is going to involve several things here as we apply this. It's going to involve humbling yourself to repent and trust in Jesus. So every individual who becomes a member of this church, their first commitment is to Jesus Christ. So we're a church full of saved people, sinners who have trusted in Jesus. So everybody who comes in shares the same humility. I can't save myself. Jesus is the Savior. I've humbled myself. I've repented of my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus. Have you done that? After that, this will involve humbling yourself to see your need to join a biblical church. So I love that people visit our church. And we don't have a time limit on how long you visit. You visit as long as you feel like you need to. 
But we hope this is leading toward a time when you're going to say, oh, I want to now become a part of this church family. I want to unite with, I want to join, become a member of this church. And so we love that. But take the time you need, but that's where this goes, where you're committing to a local church and that local church is committing to you. And again, we have our Route 33 class and the whole purpose of that hour and a half together once a month is for people to discover, is this a place where I have my beliefs lining up with them and I want to unite with a church like that? So we're just talking about how to be intentional about this unity, repent and believe in Jesus, commit to join a biblical local church, this one or some other one, and then humble yourself and become known in that church. So you don't want to be anonymous in a church and say we're somehow nebulously unified, but you need to be known. And so get in one of these small groups. We talk about life groups, so critical to the life of the church. Get in there where people know you and you can encourage them and they can encourage you. Or get in one of our grow groups where they go into a little bit deeper discipleship together. Even get into our prayer group on Wednesday nights. We meet over here. It's about 15 to 20 people. Some smaller groups where you can know and be known is part of our unity. It will intentionally mean loving other people. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 13? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we're to intentionally do that. You say, I already feel loved, but do other people in the church know that they are loved? So the issue is not just, do I have friends? Do I have rich fellowship? But what about the people around me in the hallways? Do they know how loved they are? What can I do to expand my heart and make time and room for other people to get in on this deep, deep fellowship? So it's going to require intentional loving of others. It's also going to require patience and forbearance. We're just talking about this beautiful unity that we're called to. It's going to require patience and forbearance. This means that it doesn't mean as a, as a unified church, you're going to like 100% of the things that happen in the life of the church. I don't know anybody in the church where everything always goes exactly like they would want it to go. That includes me. It's not always exactly like we want it. doesn't mean we have to agree on every single thing at all times for us to be a unified church. Because we're going to have some secondary differences. We're going to have some secondary differences in our preferences. Well, that was too loud. Well, that was too soft. That was too fast. That was too slow. I wish he wore a tie. I'm glad he doesn't wear a tie. We have all kinds of secondary preferences, and that's just, that's just normal. I bet that happens in your own household. Then there are also some third-tier theological issues. They matter, but they're not something we're going to divide over. So we have first-order things like the salvation through Christ alone in the inerrant word of God that we rally around, but we might come to some things like the sequence of events of the end times, the study of eschatology. And so I can be firmly convinced, man, I, I think the best evidence in the scripture is this. And then another brother who, who takes the word of God seriously as well goes, well, I, I see what you're saying there, but it seems to me like that this is how it's going to go in this sequence of events. And we can go, wow, you know what? We'll find out. When Jesus comes, we'll see how it all worked out. But I see where you're coming from. I'm here. There are some third-tier areas that do matter. We know we both agree that the Bible's teaching something, and I may have it, or you may have it. There are some issues there. We can just go, okay, we're, there's still room for fellowship there. And don't we also have personality differences? So we've got the extroverts in the church, and we've got the introverts in the church. And these age-old questions, why do they talk so much? Why don't they talk? They're so quiet. And we're just different the way God designed us and how we've been raised and all that. And so we're going to have to have patience and forbearance. By the way, that word forbearance means to put up with. Isn't that an interesting word? So there's a part of fellowship. It's like, man, I, I, that's not how I do it. 
but we just can't shrug it off. I'm just going to have to forbear. Somebody after 8 o'clock service said, thank you, Jim, for your forbearance. And he's grateful for his wife's forbearance that she puts up with him. Listen, I need the same thing. You, you have to put up with me every week. And you probably wish I th- did things a little differently as well. But we're like a, like a healthy family where the atmosphere here is grace. The atmosphere here is love and patience as we work together in this unified way. So truth is essential. Humility is essential to our unity. Love is essential to the humility. Forbearance is essential in this spiritual growth. Oh, how we need to all be growing in Christ so that the fruit of the Spirit's on display in us. We'll have a beautiful fellowship. Listen, in all that, this unity will be evangelistic. This beauty will be evangelistic. Jesus brings it up twice in the Spirit. Look at verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Here it is. So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Did you hear that? This world that hates us, this world that we've been saved out of, Jesus still cares for people in that world. And he wants the people of the world to see that there's something so different happening among the followers of Jesus that it's attractive to them. Verse 23, the same idea. Look at the latter part of verse 23. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. The Lord is concerned about the world. So when a church has this type of unity, they protect it. They preserve it. They want to grow it so it will be a great testimony to the world. Do you take that to heart to protect, to enjoy, to build up the unity of the church? So years ago now when I was in seminary, Joy and I went to a church in the suburbs of Memphis. It was a large church. And here was my role in the church. I was the singles minister intern. And the name intern on my title meant I had no clout. Um, I didn't even know most of the people. They didn't know me. I knew the single adults in the church and I knew the staff. But I remember one business meeting in particular. As I recall, we were up in the balcony, Joy. And, and uh, I can tell there was, <clears throat> excuse me, there was tension in the air. It was one of those business meetings. And I think, and I, and not knowing the issues, what's going on here, I had no idea. I just knew something's not right here. This feels off. And in fact, it was a big business meeting. All these people showed up for a meeting. That's never a good sign. And so <laughs> one, guy, one guy goes to the microphone from the balcony, and he has a question about pizza. And he's mad about it. He's like, I don't understand why the money for pizza was taken out of the youth budget rather than the revival budget when that pizza was eaten during the revival. And he's mad. Well, I'm upset. I'm thinking, who is this? Why is he bringing up pizza in the business? Why is he mad about it? In, in my flesh, I don't think it was the spirit. I think it was my flesh. I wanted to rebuke him for that, but that would be a mistake. I'm not going to help the unity of the church as an intern. And I don't know the issues. But something was wrong there. That's not where you bring up a question like that. That's not, that's not nurturing and protecting the unity of the church. If you've got a pizza question, a finance pizza question, go to a finance person before the meeting Sometime that week and ask your pizza finance question. Why would you bring that up in front of, in that case, hundreds of people and to divide a church and to add to the division? This is not where you do it. Of course, we have business meetings. And if something, if a question comes to mind in the business meeting from something you just saw, that's a great time to ask a question. But if you know you have a question, I love how our people do. They'll ask somebody during the week. Ask a finance person or ask a pastor. I got a question about something. Why, why do that in a way that a divisive way? So we, we want to protect it, nurture it. Jesus prayed for it. It's critical that we foster greater and greater unity, a biblical unity together. Well, then there's a third thing here that Jesus prays for before they leave the, up, leave the upper room. Jesus prays for his followers to be with him forever. Don't you love that? Jesus, before he heads to the cross, 
he prays to the Father that his disciples be with him forever. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am and to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. The last thing we hear Jesus pray before he leaves that upper room on his way toward the cross is that he wants his followers with him. He wants them with him forever. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's what's going through his mind. That's what just left his lips to the Father as he heads toward that cross. Why is he going to go through the cross? Why did we just celebrate the Lord's Supper? What was on Jesus' mind? Oh, I want these people with me forever. I'm going to endure a cross. I'm going to spill out all my blood for them. I'm going to atone for all their sinfulness. I'm going to give my righteous blood, sinless blood to cover all their sin because they're believing in me and I want them with me forever. This is an amazing love of God. And that was what was on his mind. Remember John 14? Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you see that he wants you with him? And he wants you to enjoy all that is his in heaven. He specifically mentions here that he wants his disciples to see and experience his glory. Now, his disciples had already seen his glory in the miracles and in the teachings. They're about to see his glory as he suffers for them on the cross. They won't understand that as glory yet, but they're going to see unmatched love as he pours out his life for them on the cross. They'll understand later who loves like this, oh, the glory of Jesus. On the third day, they're going to see his resurrection glory as he conquers sin and death. But Jesus thinks beyond all that to heaven, oh, Father, I want them to be with me there. I want them to see and enjoy the glory that's mine there. And we get glimpses of that glory that Jesus refers to even in the book of Revelation. Let me give you two quick passages from Revelation where you can anticipate this glory that Jesus prayed that you're going to enjoy there this is Revelation 5, 9 first. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from among every tribe and language and people and nation. Let's pause there. That's wonderful unity. From people all over the world, every racial background, every nationality, God's making a people for himself, a unified people. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, listen to this, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We even get a glimpse of the new heaven and new earth. We're told that it's going to be so glorious, the glory of God and the glory of the lamb so glorious, there won't be a need for sun or moon at all, that the radiance of God himself will light up the new earth where we're going to live forever. Jesus said, I want them to be with me. That they'll get to experience and enjoy my glory forever and ever. So the question, do you know him? Will you be one who will experience that glory in heaven with Jesus?
You need Jesus for that to happen. And that's why the Lord brought you today. That's why some of you are, you are watching on the live stream. Would you today recognize your need for Jesus? And would you ask Jesus, the sinless one who died for you, who was raised, would you ask him to forgive you of your sin? Would you turn from everything else you've been following? Would you ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior? And then commit yourself. I want to be unified with the rest of God's people. I want to be in a biblical, local church. I want to love there. I want to forgive there. I want to be patient there. I want to be a part of what he's calling us to. I want to point other people to the love of God. I want to share the gospel. Would you be intentional with these things? And then finally this, what's our context? You and I live in what we call the United States of America. And in my lifetime, I've never felt less united as a nation as I have felt over the last decade or two. And so it's very concerning. You kind of wonder, what is the future of our republic? There's no common sense of truth. There's no common identity in our culture. How long does this sustain like that? But you and I have been called out as a separate people. We've been called to Jesus Christ, to this beautiful oneness together. Listen, we have an opportunity in a divided, hateful world to point to the love of Jesus, to show, to show the world what it's like when people from all different backgrounds can come and be one in Jesus Christ. From all different races can be one in Jesus Christ. For whatever the sin background you came out of, you left that, now your new identity is in Christ. We get to show the world what that looks like. And so let's do so. Let's be unified. Let's take care of it. And let's go out from this unified church with the good news of Jesus Christ that is for all people that they can be one with us. Let's pray together. God, this, this oneness is of your making. It awes us to think about your calling us into union with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That this unity you want us to have is not of our own making, but Lord, it's a blessing from you. And we just want to take to heart what we've read here in this prayer of yours. God, make us one. Make us perfectly one. Help us, God, to be a patient people with each other, to to put up with one another and those secondary issues, but Lord, to rally over and over again to our love for you, our confidence in your word, and a commitment to your mission. Lord, we don't want those to be mere slogans, but true of us. Lord, launch us out with greater love than ever before. Help us to take good care of each other. And God, I pray for any who are hearing my words now who feel disconnected from this body, who hear these ideals of unity but feel like they're on the outside of it. God, would you heal that? Would you help us to better envelop more and more people into this love, to pursue it together? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.